Hi guys, so this uh, episode of the Cinema Sideshow Podcast has been pre-recorded. Jake, were you rushing or were you dragging? Uh, uh, dragging? So you do know the difference. If you deliberately sabotage this podcast, I will fuck you like a pig. How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. Mm, and I'm Jake. <laughs> You're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I didn't realise you were drinking your cup of coffee. I know, you caught me off guard. Sorry, man. Episode 63. Look at Jesus. that. Jesus. It, come, it just starts stacking up and you don't realise how long I it's know. been. I well, know. We're going to be old men soon. I feel I feel like an old man this morning, Jake, but yeah, I know. that's okay. It's nice and early. We're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And like we said last week on the show... We have another guest. Oh, we do. Yeah, would you like to introduce him? Absolutely. Uh, everybody, Mr. Stephen Clark. Yay! Hello, Stephen. <laughs> I'm so glad that we have like new people too. I'm so sick of talking to Jack. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm guess a little... probably like the next generation, if you will, right? Of like, of we made new that guests. joke last week. We really? were like, we were like, oh, we're like bringing in a new season two's cast. Yeah, the season two <laughs> cast. Like... You guessed. Keep everyone fresh, and you guys have, like, new backstories that we forgot to write, so we're just like, ah, I'll thrust you into the plot. Nice. Well, what's my backstory? Like, are we, am Ooh, I, like, a, I am I like a reformed villain who's, like, joined the other side? I don't side know. You're looking pretty like... schwab right now. You're looking like Brad, Bradley Cooper. Out of I see, you've got, like, a Nathan Drake thing going on yeah, right I'm, now. I'm, like yeah, it. I'm kind of trying to, like, merge a bit of that and a bit Ooh. of, like, Brad Pitt Oscar season kind of hair. Yes. Thing going that movie's like, going to yeah. be shambles, right? That, that new Uncharted movie, right? That's going to be oh, sorry. Definitely. Oh, yeah. 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 It's had, like, five directors at this point, right? Like, yeah, wow. it's been going on for... I mean, I've been looking that up since, like... 2009. I was in primary school, <laughs> learning about all these. Oh. Isn't they like four weeks out from shooting, or it's like really close to shooting? Well, they're probably shooting by the time the this episode goes live. Yeah, I mean, didn't you say there's like real like last minute casting changes? And yeah, stuff well, like they that? just cast like Antonio Banderas and stuff, which that's exciting. But I love the fact that Mark Warburg was going to play Drake, and now he's playing Sully. Like that's how long it's taken to get this movie going. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Wahlberg has become a villain character type, right? <laughs> I can't remember the last thing I saw Mark Wahlberg in. Uh, like the Departed. <laughs> I think it might have been like the Gambler for me. Right, yeah. right, yeah. That's how far back. Gosh, I, is that any good? I kind of like it. A lot of people don't. Um, I think it has like a really good third act, but yeah, apart from that, you could probably miss it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, Mr. Steven. Welcome to the show. That's my name. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me on, guys. I'm Absolutely. really looking forward to it, especially to talk about this film in particular. Exactly. Yeah. Well, why don't we kick it off right at the back? Why did you? Uh, why is it this film in particular you wanted to talk about this week? So I guess um, I think that we all kind of like being film lovers ourselves, and kind of I assume we're all big mm. cinephiles here. Have films that kind of stick with us mm-hmm. and like kind of define periods of our lives. Like for me, like my childhood films were like the Lord of the Rings movies, and kind of. As I got a bit older, I kind of got into more of the gangster stuff, couple, mm. like The Departed mm. and kind of some thriller-esque, like Shutter Island kind of things. And But for me, like entering film school, having Whiplash come out kind of just as I was on the, the prefaces of mm. kind of university knowledge was just this gold mine. And it just kind of struck me at the perfect time. Um, Damien Chazelle's kind of attitude towards filmmaking and kind of his... I guess his uh, like narcissistic approach to kind of <laughs> looking at the world. It's just, yeah. It just, it vibed with me a lot at that point in time. And yeah, it's just something that stuck with me throughout this entire decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely the film you can already feel. I mean, obviously if we're not going to jump too much into the film of the week, but um, it's definitely the one of three that he's done, like feature length ones yeah. that, Really? Well, I found out recently he actually did a four film. This isn't his debut. Really? Yeah, guy on yeah. Um, Madeline Park, I think it's called. Uh, yeah, yeah, on the park bench, I think. Yeah, yeah or something like that. Because really? I always thought this was his debut feature. Yeah. For a, the longest time, but it's funny. It's funny you mention how this is sort of something that you came to to film school, sort of imbued with. Because I did some research myself, and I found out I first. This was actually the first film I had watched since starting my uni course. Because I would have watched this on, it was the 1st of March, which would have been week one of year one in 2017. So that sounds about roughly where I'd put Okay. It, it was pretty early on. Like yeah. I watched this before La La Land, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, I'm sure most people did to an extent. And I watched yeah. this before. I think I probably watched it around the time La La Land came out, to be honest. 
like so probably a little bit later in the in, I don't in know when preparation twenty seventeen yeah I think I think I saw it in like twenty fifteen like a year after its release it's one of those films that like, okay. you just wish you could see in cinema because mm. I feel like that it really like lends itself to that intense experience yeah oh, yeah for sure. That was, I, it was kind of a like yeah like you said so we won't get into it too much just yet but uh, especially watching certain chunks it's like fuck man if this was in a theater man they put this out just like a ten year anniversary thing I would I would dig that but no um so yeah I think we probably should have said this before we talked about the film you should probably talk a bit about yourself and your relationship to I guess film. Uh, in Perth, or because yeah, we didn't in give you a backstory, so you got to give yourself. Yeah, a backstory. yeah. Now, right. now's, now's, your, now's your backstory exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, like, like you guys, I um, I studied at Murdoch University, doing mm. my undergrad in screen production. Um, I did a um a second degree here, also in English literature, and um, did a couple drama units, that kind of stuff. So, kind of well versed in the in the arts. <laughs> Schwer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at, currently I'm studying my master's in um, film direction at Screen Academy at um, ECU. So that's been super intense mm. and um, really fun and kind of opened up a whole kind of new branch of, of filmmaking mm-hmm. ideas and ideology to me, which has been great. Um, yeah, I am also producing and directing uh, indie kind of shorts outside mm. of my uni stuff as well. I have a film called The Raven. It's uh, we'll be shooting in June, which we're really looking forward to. Going to ABC Studios today to talk about some stuff. So, oh, cheeky! Yeah, that's why yeah, I'm we're looking re- a bit suave. <laughs> yeah, you're looking very suave. Means you're looking very uh, done from last night's partying. Nah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but if you got an ABC meeting to meet, we we would totally work around your schedule for nah. that. <laughs> nice. I'm 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 liking like the casual Saturday approach, guys. It, it it's uh, it's, yeah, it's well, good. Yeah, you, know? you gotta you gotta like. Get the chill vibes going. No, but it's really interesting because you were in the year above us. So we never actually directly interacted with you, which is really interesting because it meant that you sort of had your own separate timeline going on, which I always found really interesting. So, um, and and you you sort of do that difference between second and third year naivete really with being a second year. You just like, you watch the third year films and you go, oh, I could do that better. And then, then you get to the third year films and you absolutely could not. But it's really, I always found it really funny. I remember like that's sort of the change that underwent um, in the last, and it's funny because obviously the uh, our third year of, of film, we were doing the podcast on a weekly basis and mm. we actually made a comment about how tired we sounded on earlier recordings while we were <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Whereas now that we're, we're free, um, there's a lot more high, en- high energy presentation so i always find that really funny but um that's pretty sick that you're still doing like you're still sticking around with masters is that any good masters just with i wouldn't recommend it in many places but okay. if you are going to do your masters 100 percent go to screen academy because it's just like top top tier like it gets our uh, films get chosen for select and that kind mm. of thing which like goes to the oscar nominations mm. that kind of thing um the the actual tutors are great like working with people like james bogle who directed um like some tim winton written stuff mm. he Worked on like Lucky Leonard back in the like early two thousands, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, they're really, really, really great over there. So mm. would recommend. Oh, that's cool. Would recommend. Yeah. This isn't a plug, by the way. This <laughs> <laughs> screen Academy. podcast is sponsored by Screen Academy. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can go now. You, yeah. You're past done. <laughs> no, it's really. I really, really think it's that's a question that a lot of uh, film students like sort of ask is following finishing undergrad where where their next step takes mm. them. Um, I know Jake, you're looking in different areas too. Yeah, to I'm, me, I'm all over the place right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> physically, so. emotionally, I, I don't know. But no, you're right. There is sort of that. Well, what do I do now after the undergrad stuff is finished? And you, you do kind of look at all different opportunities. I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, it comes back to I think our field doesn't. Uh, I mean, I was told a very long time ago, and I think it's a very valid point that uh, a film degree is a lot is basically a generally like a three-year networking license i mean basically you you spend years like hopefully building up a network of people that you can make films with but and you do learn stuff along the way but excuse me um but generally it's more about the people you meet and the, the interactions you have and then that sort of yields from there but um, I don't know if you agree with that. Statement. I 100% agree. Like, I'm literally nodding my head along as, as you can see. Because I, I, like the number one thing I've taken away from the entire undergrad, because I feel like most of the learning that I did 
um, on the film side of things was literally just outside of uni, like me just consuming the mm. correct oh, yeah, films man. that you hitting have to U- see. Hitting up hitting YouTube. Up video essays, that kind of yep. stuff, but also just like going out and shooting shit yourself and, you know, but um, the number one thing that you cannot like underestimate from film school is the networking, like mm. you say. Like the people, the, the connections that I've made from university are just ridiculous. Like all the paid jobs that I do at the moment are all from just a single cinematography class I did with <laughs> with mm. a cinematographer and that f- through this university. And like my my DOP and co-writer, um, Blake Thompson, I met at university and we do everything together now. So like, yeah, it's definitely got massive mm. benefits. Yeah, it's, it's not it, for everyone. No, for sure. Um, I, I mean, that's how I met Jake back in first year, and now here we are doing a podcast every week. So. <laughs> oh, hey, um, but yeah, no, it's a no. I I definitely agree with that. To, yeah, networking is the big one. It's definitely because that's the thing. Before you start that undergrad, before you start, you you, you feel very like ah, oh, I don't know where this world is, this film world, and it's very close to you, but. Um, for me personally, I didn't discover that until I came, you know, to to Murdoch initially, and I was like, okay, here are the people, here's what's going on. You get into that sort of culture, and you understand how it works for you know for better or worse, and whether it's for you or it's for not for you. And then, there, yeah, and then it goes into networking, meeting tutors, meeting other students like minded, you know, meeting Blake and you guys yeah. working constantly all the time, or me and Zeke working constantly all the time. You know, it's works out, I think, in that regard. Yeah, definitely, it, it's. It's massively helpful on that mm. side of things. And, like, um, it's even continuing to be helpful at Screen Academy. Like, it's still the number one thing I take away. Like, mm-hmm. even with the kind of improvement that there is from going from Murdoch to Screen Academy, yeah. it's still the major benefit is the networking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask a couple of questions more about your directing side of sure. things. Um, particularly uh, touching on one of the productions that I know you did do, because um, I'm not very familiar with a lot of your work, sure, but yeah. I'm aware of your third year film that you did yep. um, and sort of the, well, the well the local cultural impact that made particularly, you know, our previous year at Murdoch University, um, because you had a very interesting way about going about getting your film <laughs> over the line in terms of we had to go through a round of pitches and stuff, but you guys sort of took that initiative and sort of tackled that part of production. Now, I know it's it's a couple of years removed now, so you're probably more willing yeah. to talk about that stuff. Um, I just would like you to let the audience know how you went about getting your film over the line. Sure, yeah. Um. So, yeah, the film you're referring to, Sandman, was um the third-year film that me and my co-writer, Blake Thompson, we wrote it about probably a year in advance to um, our advanced screening class. Um, we knew that obviously it was coming up. Everyone, like, it's the first thing you hear about when you go to first year mm-hmm. at uni here. It's like advanced screen, advanced screen. That's kind of what you're all leading towards. Um, it's your big project. So we started writing really early, went through like a shit ton of drafts, literally rewrote the entire thing from scratch about six months before mm-hmm. our pitch. Um, and yeah, we kind of started like assembling a team sort of thing. And we, our second year film, we made a lot of very, very obvious mistakes. I, mm-hmm. I like to say uh, a lot of things that just were glaringly there and were ignored by some people in the crew. Mm-hmm. And like, is this mistakes that we didn't want to make again? And we, so we, what we did was we listed everything that we did wrong. We kind of literally like addressed them individually. And we went, we went about appointing the right people in the right roles from a really early stage. Like a lot of people in our kind of cohort were like, oh, okay, these guys are like swooping up all the, all the good people really early. But I mean, like that's filmmaking. We had that in our class that, too, don't worry. It's that like kind of competitive nature you gotta, you gotta have. Um, and yeah, so we, we put people like Emily Worthington in the producing role for Sandman, who did a fantastic job, put everything together. Um, Penny Wittenbaker was our production designer, who's now in Sydney, um, doing, working on absolutely top tier stuff. Um, and then we had a great cast as well. People like Juliet Godwin, who, you know, is is over in Melbourne now making her den and she'll be a big name in two to three years. Just mm. you guys wait. Um, yeah, so we put together a really good team. Then we kind of went into like the pitching rounds that you guys know, like what happens and... Mm. Luckily for us, there was only four pitches that year. So um, I think they forced okay. all you guys to pitch, didn't they? Yeah, we yeah. had like 18 pitches in our class. Oh, 18. Yeah. yeah. So we literally only had four pitches. So we there was an element of we knew they were all guaranteed to get made. So okay. there was kind of like a little bit of pressure taken off. Um, but yeah, we still we went up with our entire group, <laughs> kind of really intimidating. I remember uh, Tudor Glenn kind of saying, oh, great, here comes the gang kind of thing. <laughs> like, as we kind of walking up. <laughs> 
and we put on this big ass presentation, like telling him that we already had our location, we already done this, already done this, kind of like really forcing him to yeah. <laughs> to have nothing to say, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, as for the production itself, like that was a whirlwind. Um, yeah, it was like five days out on location, Hollywood rapping for the whole time. Um, yeah, on this like beautiful house. I'm like, I, I have you guys both. Seen, oh, you've seen the film, Joe? Yeah, have you yeah, seen the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, the location is like one of the big things that, that kind of sells the premise of the film. So we really wanted to get that right. Um, yeah, and then it just, you know, the production went really great. It's actually the best production I've been on to this date, kind of not sucking our own dicks or mm. anything, but like it was just like, <laughs> like, we, like we just, like it was a really yeah. good, and that's all on Emily. She ran an absolutely tight ship. Everything was so smooth. Um, isn't it, isn't it funny when you have productions like that where they all go so well? So every time you step on another production, you're like, oh, well, it wasn't the production that was really good before. I always find that that, yeah. yeah when I mean, it comes back to you're always going to compare it to your best thing. But <laughs> yeah. When you know, uh, I know that that's definitely been a a, a thing that I've struggled with because I think the first film that I made ended up being the easiest set to work on, and then since then it's slowly. Most of the time, every time I've had a big crew, it's always been like, uh, it wasn't as good as the, the first time or it's all equally as frustrating. But yeah, no, I think that's, it's really interesting sort of how you guys managed to, it's it's that thing that comes with micro budget filmmaking. You really got to push your ideas in, in film school in particular, because there are other people that are doing everything, everything in their power to make sure that you don't get what you want sometimes oh yeah so <laughs> you sort of need that ruthless aggression for sure but yeah that was my that was my question no no i mean that was that's the great thing about it as well is that you have all this experience <clears throat> excuse me I've, we are being zeke are recovering very hard right now <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me but no it's true it's you know you've had all this onset experience we've worked together on yeah on i think just the one shot just auto yeah yeah i think that was it yeah, um i mean yeah that, that's a that's a great example of a set that i think that um had a lot of challenges you know it was a really mm. tight space um what was your uh, role on auto and my role on auto i was the second uh ac so i was working in the camera department um that was yeah it was it was interesting because obviously um the director for that film jared rando was my editor on sandman and like a lot of the crew were sandman mm -hmm. crew so mm -hmm. it kind of felt like a bit of a reunion in that sense and then i i came in and invaded the space <laughs> yeah <bit>. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, but you know that, that was that was a, that was a really fun set as well. Um, I remember Jake was the MVP with the with the coffees out here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you were unit, were you? I was unit and runner. Yeah, so I was yep. organizing the like the subway at the Did end. You of have the... to take because the actor. I'm not sure if you ever talked about this on the podcast before, but the actor in that film like literally had whiplash on the open, yeah. on the first day and got a concussion. Yeah, um, I had to drive our lead actor to a hospital that first day. Yeah, you uh, had to drive him, yeah. That was an interesting first assignment. Yeah. <laughs> I almost had to step up and take the acting role, I remember. Jared, oh, my goodness, Jared really? literally came to me and said, like, would you do the acting role, like, <laughs> I knew if, he, if he can't come back kind of thing. I yeah. was like, okay, uh, I don't know any of the lines. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was talks for, like, five seconds that yeah. he might not be able to do it. And luckily, you know... <clears throat> Excuse me. We took him to the hospital. And he was all he was all fine and dandy, and he was like, "Oh, I still got to do a fight scene in two days." And the doctor's like, "Yeah, you'll be fine." Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't I didn't know it was you that who's he was in talks to replace <laughs> yeah, him <laughs> for a very brief second. I almost made my screen debut. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost made a screen debut in that film. If you if you see really? a, if you see a door magically close at one point. That's me. As you closing. And that's the door. me under the camera closing the door. Is that so. is that deliberate or was that you just in a take like you walked on? Oh, the they didn't ask me. I just did it. You just no, I'm kidding. The door. <laughs> 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 you just walked on set and decided to close the door. Yeah, I was just closing doors. And I was like, ah, oh, one of these will make the take. <laughs> if I keep doing it, they have to use it. <laughs> really, really craving that screen time. Oh, I know, right? Nah, nah. That that was a fun one. It was intense. Yeah, right. And I think especially for you guys in camera department, was so tricky because there was a lot of. Uh, sort of effects that you have to work with in terms of uh, using the camera and the right angles and measurements and everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, we're working with that kind of blue screen, a lot of it. So there's a lot of challenging mm. lighting stuff. There was a lot of challenges, like a couple flip reverse shots we needed to measure, like the camera lens, the camera angle, like the height, yeah. everything, and like, basically, and replicate everything on like a later date. So like <laughs> it, it got really challenging at points, but yeah, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was definitely a fun set. So, yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, we made our days though. We got there in the end. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure for some point if we were, but yeah, uh, yeah. some pretty late nights were, were carded on that shoot. Yeah. Well, to be fair, when <clears throat> excuse me, when your lead actor does go to the hospital on day one, 
it tends to push you back a little yeah. bit. But even, yeah, I mean, that was yeah. half a day we lost instantly, right? Yeah. But that's now a fun story. Exactly. Can, it is a fun story, you can, yeah. You can bring up on podcasts like this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Exclusive instead of a side podcast. Next for you is this Raven film. Yeah, so yeah, next for me is The Raven. Um, I'm also directing a short film called, at the moment, The Piano. The The name will probably change at some point. So they're both coming up in like May, June kind of thing. So I'll be mm-hmm. literally probably jumping from one set to the next kind mm-hmm. of thing. So that'll be the first time ever that... like. Do you want to had... tease any premises for either of those films? Yeah, or... sure. I can definitely tease The Raven. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the one that we're, we've just had some massive funding approved for mm-hmm. it. So it's really good working with some... Uh, very high level script um supervisors at the abc um yeah okay so the premise for the film is basically it's set in um like 1400s germany essentially and it's about uh, a group of vikings group of four vikings who go on a hunt and essentially they find a, a young child and basically the dispute goes on about what they should do with the child whether or not they should kill it or take it back with them oh my goodness Bruh, that is like 100% not what I thought that film was going to be about <laughs> yeah. yeah Raven I was like oh it's going to be like some dark and broody Sin City shit right here <laughs> yeah no, yeah, no. Oh. 1400 Viking. That is, <laughs> yeah, that's um, awesome. I love that. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to see that one. Yeah, we're yeah. really excited about it. Um, it. It's got a long way to go still, and there's a lot of kind of elements up in the mm. air. But um, if we can get the right kind of production design going, um, mm. I think that it could be something quite special. Oh, that's huge in a film like that. Well, sure. that's Definitely. the thing. That's where all the budget's going. <laughs> so, I was going to say, because that's a very ambitious sort of log line you just gave us, but it sounds like you got the funding. So yeah. You got more than 50 bucks? To t- <laughs> yeah, a little more than 50 bucks, yeah. Okay, can, we, can we press and ask <laughs> the inspiration for the film, like the sort of backstory behind why this film and why Exists, now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so it, there's there's a couple different elements that go into this film. Um, the big thing that me and Blake really love, and that will be evident when we talk about Whiplash later, is tension, mm. basically. And in Sandman, that was the idea as well, was to build this kind of pressure cooker situation mm-hmm. where the only way for it to kind of end was an explosion, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we're trying to recreate the elements of in this film as well. We want to create this sense of um, this unified group that kind of gets pushed to its limits, mm-hmm. essentially. And um, each of the characters kind of had their own their own things going on in their own lives. There's also, um, like, our lead character is dealing with the the grief of lose, having just lost a child, essentially, so not wanting to go through that process again and kind of mm-hmm. what the grief of, of losing a child does to someone. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of the themes in yeah. general that will be explored. So, like, why the why the time frame? Why that piece? Yeah. Because as, you, as you're saying... Um, these themes are very universal, but I'm more curious as to why 14th century Vikings. Yeah. That's a... Why, yeah, why... I mean, like, so it's just like, it's... We just like doing things that aren't... I have nothing against, like, modern, like, kind of high school drama kind of stuff. Mm. It's just that it's just not our style kind of thing. Mm. We like to try with our premises to be, ambi- to be ambitious, but then... Sorry, we like to try in our settings and locations to be ambitious, but have our stories be kind of really tight-knit and quite like mm, quite, quite basic. contemporary base yeah sure yeah and um i just think there's a lot of elements that you can draw out from like the culture of the vikings that are still relevant today so for example like one of the main themes of the film is about this um about our lead astrid who's a female in first female to join the hunting group essentially and she's like kind of the struggles that come with that and even though the vikings were quite a progressive society um she has a lot of issues to kind of fight mm-hmm. through and um that's something that obviously is still um relevant today and Drawing the comparisons between that is something that we enjoy, and mm-hmm. um, also just the idea of um, shooting in 1400s, like Germany, kind of pine mm. forest. It's just like something different. You don't get to, you don't just see it every visual, day. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll make the film stand out a little yeah. bit. Um, but yeah, no, it's real interesting. Uh, Jake, do you have anything else you'd like to um, add? I was kind of swooped by that. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> we're gonna true exclusive here. I feel like no. Nah. <laughs> Um, no, that's awesome. It's we exciting. just keep chipping away at it until we have the whole film. <laughs> yeah. And then this happens. And we just start reading the script. You guys won't believe the ending. <laughs> I'd just be really curious to see how you'd shoot that in Western Australia. I yeah. That's my, that's my thing. Oh, so will Isaac. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. You know, there's, yeah, there's a lot of challenges. Just learning but, as we're going along. No. Yeah. I mean, like, what is filmmaking if we aren't challenging ourselves? Exactly. That's well, yeah. true. I mean, it comes back to what you can. There is benefits to being in Western Australia. You do get. A fair amount if you find the right places diversity in the landscape which really can help but it's really hard sometimes to take the australia out of australia and it's when you shoot here it it very much looks like no other place but here so yeah I the key like... is getting rid of the shrubbery in my opinion like okay. the, the australian yeah. shrubbery is like so iconic you can look at it and be like oh 
that's Australia. Yeah. So yeah, we worked hard to find some places that are quite desolate for kind mm. of bushland and kind of have these kind of big, like almost like tropical looking leaves. We found this place down south, which is, is quite interesting. Um, and yeah, tall, dark trees, something that... If you're going to find it anywhere, it'd definitely be down south is the yeah. place to go, for sure. 100%. But uh, Jake, you got anything to add before we move into the film of the week? I'm pretty I'm pretty happy to jump right into the film of the week, if we guys are. Sure yeah, thing. I am. Let's no worries, it. Jake. So what are we All watching? All right, this week on the show, everyone, we're watching Whiplash. Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. <laughs> If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will gut you like a pig. Oh, my dear God. Are you one of those single-tier people? You are a worthless pansy ass who is now weeping and slobbering all over my drum set like a nine-year-old girl. Andrew enrolls in a music conservatory to become a drummer, but he is mentored by Terence Fletcher, whose unconventional training methods push him beyond his boundaries of reason and sensibility. Mm. I think it's great that we get to, like... Get our guests to read it out now. I feel like I don't even have to do my job anymore. It's <laughs> handballing it off. It's, yeah, it's, 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 just, a, it's delegation, actually. Yeah. You know, just delegating. It's the, it's like a director. You just delegate everything. Yeah, directing. Yeah, that's a, that's the one key to directing. Just making everyone else do their jobs great, exactly. so you don't have to do yours. Exactly. Uh, I've always seen directing kind of like a project manager. I don't know if that's like a correct. I, I, we're talking about whiplash, but there's yeah. an element of it, I suppose. Like I, I think it's yeah. project managing. I see it half like project managing to an extent, and half like just cheerleading. I feel like I feel like if you're a really good cheerleader, you'd make a great director because I feel like spirit and like just being part of a team and kind of making sure everyone is just feeling great is like I think that's ninety percent of directing for sure. Yeah. And you end up being like a life coach for actors. I feel like sometimes you like oh, I yeah. mean, most actors, if you know, ninety percent of the jobs in the casting, right? Like that's that's all yeah. yeah. But um, you know, sometimes you got to pull them aside and just be like, yeah, you know, you're doing really great. Now go have a mental breakdown in this scene. Yeah, I, need you to, I need you to really cry in this scene. Speaking of mental breakdowns, okay. Whiplash. Whiplash. Ooh, great uh, film for mental breakdowns. <laughs> so well, like we were saying earlier, this is not his first film, much to my surprise, to be honest. Surprise too, because he had a short based off this film, correct? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a very successful short. I think it was one of the, it's kind of up there with like Thunder Road for kind of those inspiring short films that lead to features. Mm. Um so yeah, I, still one of my favorite shorts. Thunder Road, yeah, it's oh, oh yeah, it's terrific. Um, we did Thunder Road episode twenty-two. Two, I want to say, yeah, we did the feature around that. Um, yeah, have you watched the Thunder Road feature? Thunder Road, I haven't yet. I really need to. Yeah. Um, I hear it's great. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It definitely takes a. a they keep a lot of that first scene, um, and. I mean, they redo it. They redo it. They just reshot, yeah. Um, unfortunately, the song is not in it, which is a bit of a shame. They didn't get the... I don't think Bruce... Because uh, that was the whole thing Jim Cummins talked about, how he still pays Bruce to this day every like, month. <laughs> oh, wow. He sends like, monthly checks to Bruce Springsteen for Thunder Road. But yeah, fun- unfortunately... Paid off, it's, I guess. Yeah. In a way. Oh, I mean, the movie's really good. But like, yeah, this, this one was based off a short, which I managed to catch before. Because mm. I hadn't seen the film. Hadn't seen the short. Short's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, the big thing about the short that I find interesting is that he actually got J.K. Simmons to partake in it, right. which is yeah, pretty right. insane, right? At that kind of level, you wouldn't think that someone with the, you know, J.K. Simmons wasn't like a household Oscar name at that point, but he was still like, he'd been in the Spider-Man yeah, movies. Yeah, I think Spider-Man like, yeah. made him a household name for sure, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, big enough to be a surprise in a, in a short like this. It's very rare you'll see actors of sort of that listing and that tier in, in, in film. <laughs> Something of that sure. scale, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure. Did he go to UCLA? Is that where he went? Or he... Uh, Damien Giselle? No, um, no, he didn't actually go to UCLA. I can't remember where he went, but I remember that his father was a university lecturer, um, and he kind of I think he was like to do with just art in general. Mm. Um, so he had quite like a early introduction to art. Okay. Through that kind of those kind of methods, but I mean, like he was incredibly young when he made the, this film. Like I think he was only like 29 or something yeah. when he directed the feature. So. Well, that's, he's still, to this day, best, youngest best director from the Academy. No. No? Um, I think it was... Oh, may, maybe Winner. I think John, winner, Sing, winner. John Singleton, I think, for uh, his film, um, Boys in the Hood, I think, was uh, okay. like 24 or 25 oh, wow. or something. So, yeah. But, um, was that just a nomination? Yeah, for nomination, oh, okay. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think for wins, I think it's Damien Fall, um, yeah. La La, 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 La for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty mind blowing, and that's the thing as well. Like when you watch the short, 
I think it's so eerily exact to what the film is. And obviously, well, it, that's the thing. I had to kind of reverse engineer how it was done and learning that, okay, he wrote the script, the full film existed on page, and he literally just extracted this sort of 18-page chunk to do the short, which is like, okay, well, that makes sense. The dialogue is like to a T exact. Even Simmons's performance is like almost exact, which is pretty perfect. I think the only real differences between the short and the... And the feature is pretty much the color grade and the sound mixing. Yeah. Which... And the fact that Miles Teller isn't in it. But... Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the guy, I think the guy who plays Andrew is like severely not as good as, as Miles Teller right, in the yeah, feature. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of stands out. But apart from that, like the writing kind of carries it anyway. It's so yeah, interesting exactly. um, how sim like similar the Simmons performances are. I mean, it really comes back to he clearly wanted that performance out of out of whoever played that character it just ended up being jk simmons but like how specific the writing is i would find it really interesting does he have a really big musical background is that the yeah he does so it's kind of actually this film i'm not sure if you guys know this is, is low-key like biographical kind mm. of to an extent so he um he actually is a drummer mm-hmm. and he um i can't remember if he went to drumming school at some point or he wanted to he definitely had, and basically, like the character of uh, Terence Fletcher is based on a real guy. Mm. Um, so there actually is like a real life kind of Terence Fletcher out oh, there. Oh God! And, um, yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, so it's kind of like a real life experience for him. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm like you said, I'm sure he had like an exact I method mean, to write a story. This sort of, you know, on 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 the page, very on the focused, beat, very yeah. focused. Um, you would need to have some previous experience. You couldn't just off the cuff that no really. this doesn't come from just the back of your mind this kind yeah. of story this comes from like a real life experience oh, yeah sure. without question well what i have here is that he uh was in part of a competitive jazz band at princeton high school sure and that's sort of where this all originated and then even the script itself formed out of frustration for being unable to get la la land off the off the ground which you know even just based on la la land's opening scene you can kind of see why yeah <laughs> it might have taken him a hot minute to get that one made but um, so that's really cool. It's, in terms of just his whole filmography, and this isn't a director's corner or anything, nah. but in terms of Whiplash as part of uh, as Damien Chazelle's full filmography, it is sort of the real launcher, so to speak. Because, yeah, he has a film before this, but, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know about it till very recently. Yeah. Um, I, I, this is the one that put him on the map. Yeah, yeah. Like, Def, definitely put him on the map massively. Um, yeah, well, like you say, like he was trying to get La La Land off the ground for like exactly, eight years, yeah. I think, and... <laughs> Did it three years later after Whiplash, so clearly people stood up and, mm. and gave attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in my in my opinion, like you, Jake, I've shown you kind of my list that I did last year for like my favorite films of the century. Mm. And this is my favorite film of the last decade. This is number one. Um, this is number one. It just it just resonates with me so much that idea of um, like what do we do to achieve greatness and mm. kind of what does it take? What are you willing mm. to sacrifice as artists? That's something that is very poignant to us. Um, and I think that Damien Chazelle just chipped like tapped into that and just did something that is so tense and so masterful. Like, yeah, I think he has deserved all the respect that he's garnished yeah. in the last few years. Mm. I really do like the, uh, the methodology in the, in this sort of, uh, this film. I really appreciate the sort of messages it's trying to convey. Um, I think the, there aren't many films like this out there, which is why I think it stands out so much. And it really does resonate with you. I was looking through, the the letterbox reviews which they can be controversial and some of them can be incredibly frustrating but mm. like if you want to give yourself a headache just look up half star reviews on letterbox, on letterbox for your yeah. favorite film for your favorite <laughs> um, but some of the more positive reviews were like nailed it on the head where it's like i'm still thinking about this thing 24 hours after i've seen it like and i mean that like not to get too much into spoilers yet mm. but that ending is such a moment where you're just like you feel a wind come out of you and after re-watching it and revisiting it after literally probably three or four years since i've seen that film i think yeah. i saw that at the start of at the start of murdoch studying okay yeah around that time um that that kick still hits you hard yeah it's that's amazing that a, a sort of a twist i guess it's a pod twist um, can have that much impact yeah, on you. Yeah, there's a bit of a twist there, yeah. yeah. It's probably like as much of like a twist as this kind of movie is going to have, right? Like, Yeah. Um, yeah. For yeah. something that is so focused and very like narrative, so honed in for what it is, it's it's shocking that there's even any kind of twist at all. Yeah. Um, But I, I do I do like sort of how that leads into the ending of the film. And again, yeah, you're right. So we won't talk about it just yet. 
but um, I have a lot of positive things to say about that ending especially. Um, no, but I think in terms of the overall thematics of the film, in terms of, you know, obsession and you're right, what you would achieve or what are you willing to do to achieve greatness is so interesting. interestingly explored here because this film almost kind of goes in the opposite direction of what a lesser film might do where it's like, oh, you know, you got to be careful. It's like this film really embraces and kind of almost passes Fletcher's uh, behavior as sort of uh, warranted or even... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, kinda, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's almost like, like it kind of works for sure. He's, yeah, yeah, his toxic nature is definitely like. Oh, obviously, we're going to spoil this later, but like to an extent, rewarded, right? Like, mm, I mean, like that's the word rewarded. Yeah, he's um. They they talk about. I remember listening to an interview where it was um Jackie Simmons and Damien Chazelle kind of talking about this idea of like you know where does the morality ticker end mm. at the end towards the the third act of this film, and they talk about the idea that like the concept they really were trying to angle the film towards at the end was is it better to die young and achieve greatness or to like live a great life of happiness but never achieve greatness and kind of how andrew is faced with that final choice towards the end mm. and he makes his kind of move mm-hmm. and then, yeah i think it's um it's a really potent sort of statement that you don't which like like <laughs> you said jake that a, a lesser film would uh tiptoe around that a little bit more or take more obvious approaches to these sort of like, you know, I mean, let's, let's touch on things like, you know, musical biopics that often uh, discuss the sort of struggle for greatness that, you know, past icons of the music industry have had, but a lot of them, they always get happy endings. Whereas this one is sort of bittersweet. I mean, it has like, sure. I mean, I mean, are you ready to sort of dive more? I'm happy to. I mean, this film's been out for a few years. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to tiptoe around the ending when talking about. Yeah, I mean, okay. So spoiler warning. um, (laughs) It's hard to. I mean, the ending is so obvious that, like, yeah, there's this new. You know, this like you said, it's they he achieves sort of greatness in that point. I always feel like it's the price for art, is how I've always seen it. Mm. Um. Sort of literally like the blood, sweat, and tears, and I love that. That's still like that montage of him playing the drums and like the blood, like dripping Put his in hand it. in the ice. Oh, oh man, so good! Some amazing cinematography in this film. I think that that doesn't like. I mean, the performances are really great. Um, yeah. the, I always found it really funny the difference between the short and the feature. You brought up the color grade, but I yes. think it makes a huge difference. Massively, yeah. like that that room that they're in in the feature looks sweaty. It looks tight. It looks hot. Like you feel really yeah. gritty. Like it kind of reminds me of like the way that you feel when you watch like uncut gems. Like that's mm. like disgusting feeling that you get. Like yeah, and it's something that yeah, it's not used in the short. It's kind of just a basic room in the short, but it's something that's amplified in the. Isn't it, I'm really glad they chose to go that route because I think the film actually would have lost a lot of its sort of just subconscious impact that you would have had on it because of the way it. Yeah, it does. It looks like that hot, sweaty mm. grass. Yeah. Bang on the money. Yeah, <laughs> and in but. this weird way, it even kind of creates this feeling of the Ivy League school because when I watch the short, it feels like we're in a bit of a high school. Be- just because yeah. of the room, it's like oh, it feels a little. You're right, there's less prestige about And in the film, they get the time to compare the two different uh, sort of, you know, you've got the, the first level music grade and then you have J.K. Simmons coming in, like basically picking who gets to rise up top with him yeah. sort of thing. Um, so I guess they get time in the future to establish that. But yeah. to, even, you're right, the colour hue sort of does give you this extra sort of, okay, this is sort of a prestige place to be. I like it. Yeah, I mean, like, and Andrew's character throughout mm. the entire movie just repeating, like, this is the best film, uh, the best, uh, not film school, the this best is music the best school. <laughs> this is the best music school in the country kind of mm. thing. Like, he, he's just asserting that, like, narcissism back to himself. And so you just feel like there's all this pressure swelling up. Like, even if that pressure isn't exactly there, he's putting it on himself. Mm. Fletcher's, like, drilling it home to him. The way that everyone in, in the rest of the band kind of acts around Fletcher. Like, everything in this film just builds and builds and builds until you get to that eruption point at the end. Yeah, I think like it's it's really. Um, I think it, I do think it does build to that sort of thing, but I I think the the first tension reliever comes after the the whiplash incident. Yeah, um, and obviously uh, that scene is where um yeah he's involved in a car accident because he's running late and he literally suffers <laughs> whiplash, <laughs> which is uh um I and, get it. 
Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I love how it's like that sort of double entendre sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. We'll do later, but um, like talk about smart smart titles. Um, yeah, you ever feel like you ever feel like titles sometimes are just like we made a Perfect. joke that like Netflix titles now are getting ridiculous because oh. they're like. 15 words Jack long. put it perfectly. He said, why are all Netflix titles sentences lately? <laughs> yeah, they are, basically. But, um, I mean, Uncut Gems is another good example of that. Like That's a great Adam title. Adam Sandler himself being a bit of an uncut gem kind of thing. Like, <laughs> you got all those kind of double double ups. There's yeah. not enough There's not, not enough safties and chazelles in the world. Mm. I know. Um, more films gen, out of them. Need some Eggers, Ariastas, these yeah. kind of guys. Like the new gen of filmmakers. I'm really excited to kind of see if they're like this, like, this kind of Spielberg, Lucas kind of right, uh, Scorsese right. kind of gang of, of the next 10 years. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting how that goes. Um, Definitely feels like a different era of filmmakers as yeah. well. Like very different styles different between styles, them. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realise how duped I'd get with this film when like after that whiplash incident that, um, you know, he takes that time away and he like, you know, he starts to become, you know, like back to being like sort of a normal person. A normal and, citizen almost. And then when he bumps into J.K. Simmons and he's being really nice and I'm like, oh, he feels bad. And then I got absolutely duped by that. It's the second time I watched it, I still got duped by it. There's a lot of like crazy theories that go around with Fletcher's character and especially regards to that moment. There's a lot of theories that like he kind of, made that happen essentially at the jazz bar essentially like like luring okay uh, andrew there for for that moment to happen it was all part of his kind of charlie parker test that he's kind of conducting on andrew the entire film um and also like you know when the um when the the note the uh, the music the folder music folder goes missing yep. yeah a lot mm. of people have theorized that andrew himself was uh not andrew terrence was himself with the man who who took the it to test andrew essentially I remember just, reading many fear because you're right. Yeah. It, it's that thing where like, oh my god, what happened to the music folder? It's so yeah. clever. Never answered. Um, I I can't remember which side I leaned on because there definitely is the argument between whether Andrew did it himself mm-hmm. to open because there is that you know yeah. oh I memor I've memorized it I memorized the whole chart yeah. so there is that oh maybe he did it on purpose but then there is that side of Fletcher where. It, that goes into the theory later that he's orchestrated those moments too yeah. of I'm going to test Andrew and see if he's up to the challenge. One of those thing. things, it just works both ways. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tight script. It's like, that's, I think that's the thing of how, um, you know, you were talking about earlier in the show, how you were doing so many revisions with some of your earlier work and stuff like that. And it feels like this script, it's funny that it came, it was birthed out of the frustration of not getting La La Land off the yeah. ground because it's such a, a watertight script and I think that's a recurring theme that we've had on the show with the films that we enjoy the most is their scripts feel almost like a science rather than a like a, an emotional and in, in like we talked about Parasite in an earlier episode and how mm. calculating that film needs to be that allows multiple levels of enjoyment in the sense that if you're just a general viewing person you can enjoy the film on its mm. surface level but if you're more a cinephile you can dive into the layers deeper and deeper and this film has the exact same situation. You could show this film to anyone, they'd enjoy it, they'd understand it. But then, if you really want to dive into it, and, you know, get up on the Vizio essays yeah. and all that <laughs> stuff. There's plenty of layers to Levels, delve in. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about all these fan theories and stuff. Yeah. Like, bro, there's fan theories for fan whiplash. Fan theories for whiplash. Isn't that insane? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that like um, Damien Chazelle often gets a lot of credit for his directing, which he should. I think that this film in particular is just like mm. the way that he orchestrates everyone's eye around Andrew, and so you are kind of the newcomer to the situation. Situation mm-hmm. is excellent but i think that one of his massive massive strengths is his writing like you just say you kind of touched on it there how it's the multiple levels of enjoyment mm-hmm. and that kind of thing but also um i'm not sure if you guys know this but he wrote um have you guys seen the film 10 cloverfield lane yes i yes. love that film yeah he wrote that film uh which not a lot of people know uh did yeah. he write everything up until the last yeah, 10 minutes say, everything up until the yeah, last 20 yeah. minutes okay, yeah. I mean, and, and you can like and I, <laughs> so he, he, he co-wrote it with some other people and i feel like that was more like a studio decision to the last 10 minutes yeah, and like yeah. if you just watch the first like like the film is brilliant first, up until the, the first ending, two yeah. acts at least of that film it's whip it's like whiplash essentially you just like got this one character in this incredibly difficult situation with this other looming character mm. kind of there. And I love that you can see the building blocks of kind of what he's wanted to do for a long time. It's fascinating, even just like the sort of character profile difference between J.K. Simmons and John Goodman. If you yeah. think about it, it's like, you know, you've got this big burling man who's always like, whenever John Goodman's shot in film, he's always shot like he's this big behemoth character, yeah. which I've always really liked. But with J.K. Simmons, 
there's something about him, you know, it, it, I think it comes back to, it honestly comes back to our childhood and growing up with Spider-Man and just seeing this guy who's like such a, I mean, he's a comic relief character yeah. in, in the Spider-Man universe. And then just watching him lose his shit in that first scene is like weirdly scary on a, on a sort of subtext level because it's like this Throws guy. Throws you off, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, even just his appearance in the film is like, like the way that he just wears this tight black, black shirt, shirt. Yeah, like yeah, muscular. His posture as <laughs> well. I was going to say like that. Yeah. Like head and everything. Builder. He just... He's like muscular in the sense that he like goes to a solid yoga class. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks like he looks. I mean, he he literally just strikes you as the kind of guy like like he just embodies the character. He's this kind of like very gritty, drilled character. Mm. Um, yeah, and you're like talking about the writing like before. They talk a lot about grit and that that being one of the big messages of Terence's character is the idea that like. He is constantly pushing Andrew's buttons, like consistently, because he's not testing his talent. He's testing, um, like the willpower, his, his determination, and like yeah. what he's willing to go through. And um, that's kind of exemplified in the really good scene where he kicks out um, <laughs> the, the fat student. <laughs> essentially, for he wasn't he wasn't the one that You're was looking off. for a Mars bars down there. Yeah, there's so many like quotable one-liners, well, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like you one of these single tier guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I look like a double fucking rainbow to you. I think someone said that last night out of context, which yeah. is great. It's yeah, yeah. right. It's so it's quotable. One of those quotable lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just another example <laughs> of like he wasn't he wasn't off. He wasn't off kilter when they were yeah. doing the scene or the music, but the fact that he didn't know that he was kind of exemplified to Andrew that he didn't have what it took. So. Yeah. Man, Miles Teller makes me so frustrated. He does a movie like Whiplash and then he goes and makes Fan Four Stick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Fan Four Stick is just the whole thing itself. I mean, so many layers to that. Like he's the most consistently good actor in the most inconsistent movies. Like yeah. <laughs> I feel like you give him good stuff. He'll be he'll be above and beyond. I think mm-hmm. he could be like one of the best actors of his generation if he's given the right stuff. I mean, I'm really excited to see what he does in um, Top Gun Two, as he's got jacked mm. for that film. Like, he looks like like he's been hitting the gym really hard, and um, I think he's playing like Goose's son or something like that. Okay. So there's a kind of lot of nice little like characters. They're gonna be a volleyball montage. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I've already seen volleyball, so in the trailer it's already there. Um, and, but also he was in a film called um, Only the Brave. I'm um, not sure yes, you guys saw that, and he was fantastic in that. Um, okay. I'm a sucker for Josh Brolin, so. Yeah, and uh, I think Jeff Bridges in that one as well. I can't remember. Uh, a little bit. It's like not hella high water level good Jeff Bridges. But, yeah. You know, uh, that was <laughs> literally, that was my film. That's sure. my one of the decade. Um, oh, great, yeah. Hell awesome high choice. Water. I mean, ta- Taylor yeah. Sheridan, who writes those films. is just... I, Between that and Wind River. It was Wind like, River, yeah. And Wind he River's wrote Sicario yeah. as well, I think. He yeah. kind of calls it like his American trilogy kind of thing. So, so I like that. Yeah. I'm but, glad you brought up Miles Teller though, because like it's easy to get swept up in J.K. Simmons' performance. He's the unsung hero of this film. Yeah, yeah. But like, I I forget when I'm watching it. You see him in the start. He's going to the movie theater. He's all kind of well. The antagonist is only as good as the protagonist. I yeah, mean, yeah, sort of, of course. Way, yeah. But then you get to those scenes where he starts like ab- he's fighting back when he forgets his sticks, and he's like, "That's my, I'm gonna, that's me. You're taking my spot." Like he gets so frustrated. Like, Damn, he's good. He's like, turn my page. <laughs> like, that kind of like emasculation of like, bitch. I mean, like, and like the deterioration of his, like, I, what I really like about his character is like the deterioration of his life around him. Mm. The way that like all his relationships break down. So his relationship with his girlfriend, he leaves her because mm. he kind of needs to focus and he can't have that distraction. Yeah. And his relationship with his father, he just doesn't understand him. It's something very relatable for artists, I feel. And the way that yeah. he's, the rest of his family kind of don't take him seriously. It's, it's just, it's all really great character work and it kind of, it lends to to this constant friction that's going on. I yeah. picked. I, sorry, Zick. No, no, no. I'm just I was just. I picked that up. Um, the more like the more I rewatched it over the years, the more I picked up on that. Especially even like the most recent time when he, the I guess it would be the second scene, sort of the opening montage when he's walking back home after the initial uh, meeting with Terence Fletcher. Um, all of the cutaways, like it's not really a jazzy town. Like it cuts away to like construction sites and stuff. And mm. I was like, that's an interesting way of kind of framing him in a world that's not really in the music, just like his family, and they're all very sportsy, which you could argue this is kind of a sports film more than a music film, really. So um, I liked all those juxtapositions, and especially with with the girlfriend, Nicole. I remember when I first watched this, I actually was very kind of anti that arc or that side plot and i think the i only it was only this week when i rewatched it i was like okay i kind of get it now it needs to be there it does need to be there in the sense that 
having gone through I mean this film you could definitely relate some of the ambitions and the 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 struggles to some of the stuff that we've dealt with as filmmakers um going through school and stuff oh, and toxic the, creativity there's like, definitely that sure. element mm-hmm. of yeah. um yeah. you know people who are either very supportive or very anti-supportive and we see that with all the people around him they have when he loses the music folder he is fucking shunned yeah across those students which i love i love don't touch my folder man you know don't <laughs> yeah yeah um but that whole nicole thing because it's sort of the joke i remember when i went through my last break i'm i bleh, my last breakup i remember telling a friend uh like oh you know we broke up etc and the first thing they asked is oh was it because they were getting in the way of your career and I was like, no, what are you talking about? But that is a legitimate sort of oh, thing sure. that I love is addressed in this film. So that's I think maybe that's why I've turned on it. It's like, okay, I kind of see where that comes from now. Yeah, it's a relatable Which, aspect because, you know, yeah. like relationships and art aren't notoriously great at mixing. Mm. <laughs> and it's, They're really not. Yeah, it's just one of a simple little... <laughs> Noah Bombok did a whole movie on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's okay because him and Greta got the exact same Oscar nominations and wins in this <laughs> yeah, last year. So they're now fine. they're working together on Barbie with Margot Robbie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, what, is, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like <laughs> That would be very interesting. But even like, again, with Nicole, it's like she actively has no direction. She's like, oh, I went to the college that would accept me. And I kind of love that the film right. almost shames her for that. Yeah. Like, it's not, it goes back to kind of that bold, thematic choice of being like, oh, if you don't have a direction, well, the hell are you doing here? Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. If you're, if you don't, if you don't plan your life to every kind of, every single level and every aspect, then yeah. like you're just not doing enough, essentially, is the belief that this character yeah, has. I mean, and- it's, it's basically the ruthless pursuit for success and mm. or finding a direction. And I think that you've got like, the reality is someone like uh, Miles Teller's character um, can only really attract people of that <coughs> sort of flaky nature simply because it's the, the balance to his intensity. And um, so if her not having a purpose sort of serves a very pretty normal relationship among creatives as often one person that tends to be like constantly fueling their sort mm. of their su- success and their career and the other person's very passive um, particularly with younger relationships, like obviously they have. So I find that it's a very relatable sort of relationship dynamic. Mm. Another thing that just makes this film like definitively original, I feel, is mm. the idea that like we kind of, we frame a lot of films that are about this pursuit of success in the world of like Wall Street and like the world of like gangsters mm. and kind of the way that you have to climb the ranks and kind of build yourself up. And there's, there's countless films that are about that. But it's really, really rare to find a film that is about art in that way and kind of takes that cynical look at like what it takes. A lot of films that go around art, like we talk about like the musical biopics Biopic, that we see yeah. now. It's mm-hmm. like we just see like the happy kind of rise and they all meet and they all kind of have fun. And, you know, sometimes there's like a bad manager who doesn't believe in them, but, you know, they oh, get through it. Bus broke down. Or, or yeah. there's a, there's a, they've got a drug addiction. They've got <laughs> yeah, a rehab. Exactly. Yeah. It's really great to see um, kind of someone personify the just the absolute turmoil that you have to put yourself through. You have to put the people around you through to, to have that success. Yeah. I've always found that, that that can be one of the most frustrating things about musical biopics is they just sort of seem to have a natural knack for being good at music. They never show us why they're good at music or mm. how hard they had to work to be good at music. They normally just you take something like Bohemian Rhapsody. It just cuts to them. There's the band. There's Freddie. Boom, there's Queen. <laughs> Done. Let's move on. Let's and play it, some Queen songs. Definitely. And like when when you, when you when you like when you see Andrew in this film at the start of the film and he's kind of playing his drums, he's good, you know, yeah. like like and like mm. to the untrained eye, like who doesn't know drumming that well, like it, it, he looks like he's doing fine, but you actually believe in this kind of journey of learning that he goes through that he can pull off that ending. Like I think I think that Damage Joseph said like like that isn't like the, the sounds that you're hearing at the end, it's not possible. Like, there's like six drummers kind of going on that are right, making those okay. sounds. Like, it's that kind of wild. Um, well, it almost plays into the idea that the ending could be, I don't want to say fantasized too much, but there, I think there's an element of a dreamy sort of conclusiveness. There's definitely to like that a ending. dreaminess to it, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. the thing that he did in La La Land, you know, he sort of yeah, projected that. Yeah, that, that element that of like dreaminess. Ending. Yeah. yeah, but I think that plays into it. Like, sonically speaking, you're right. If that's not possible, yeah. then part of that has to be sort of Andrew's mindset and how he's playing. And I, I believe that that's what happens. That is yeah. the actual what happens in the narrative of the film. But I like that there's that extra kick yeah. of fantasy and how good he's playing. I always like that he like he did that with at least with that and La La Land. He sort of 
puts that era of fantasy towards the end of the films. And I know mm. La La Land does have a lot more fictionalized fantasy in it than this film. This film is very grounded, but yeah, like like if you're saying yeah, if it's not sonically possible, then definitely um, that sort of ending of like romanticizing the ending a little bit more, um, even though it still leaves you with that sort of bittersweet taste where it's like, sure, he achieved that, but what did he lose? In what the did process? it cost? Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. That's always, and I love how this film every time i revisit it, i still am left with that what did it cost sort of feeling which i really like That's- yeah the, the ending just leaves you on this like such strange note every time i see it because sometimes i watch it and i'll feel that very intensely and be like man like what did it cost this guy did he lose himself like and then other times i'm like is it a happy ending because you know like he got what he wanted terrence got what he wanted he got this protege he got his he mm. got his charlie parker kind of thing that he loses and you know we see the human the the human elements of him when he's crying after and that's really what he's after the whole film he gets it and you know andrew gets what he does he does the perfect performance kind of thing and even his father like the I was first, gonna say yeah the first thing that he says at the start of the film to him is i don't understand you and then the last thing we see of the father is him just taking gobsmacked in the glory yeah. like he understands finally like mm. he wasn't great enough to appreciate andrew's greatness that's why he couldn't see it and yeah the only thing that would have been like a stretch too far, which would be so funny, is if, like, Nicole and her boyfriend were in the crowd, and at the end, she just, like, pushes him aside and makes that he tries to invite her, doesn't he? <laughs> he and, invites yeah, he her invites out, her, but then, she then she's come. like, oh, i got a boyfriend or so. He yeah. doesn't like jazz, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be pretty funny if that's, like, <laughs> if that was, like, like, the secret ending. <laughs> yeah, that she got back with it. She was backstage or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was, like, yeah. with the dad or some shit. Oh, do you guys have anything funny. else you'd like to add before we um, jump into highlights? I'm happy scenes? to jump into our highlight scenes. Yep, great. We can jump into that. Yeah. You yeah, want, yeah, yeah, of course. You gotta, Soon, you can jump. Yeah, no, nah, that's all right. Well, we've had plenty of time with you, which is awesome. Yeah, um, yeah Stephen, do you want to say your highlight scene of Whiplash? What's your favorite scene from the film? Yeah, I, I think I think my favorite scene is kind of the scene that personifies the film the most, which is the the um, intense scene where they're drumming and they're kind of having the drum off, and eventually it all comes with um, Terrence throwing the cymbal above Andrew's head and kind of breaking him down. Um, and then taking him out, which like start it, the scene kind of really starts with the scene where Andrew takes him outside and they have the conversation. He asks him about his mother and kind of about his father. And he's like, was your, was your father a musician? He's like, mm. oh no, he just taught. And he's like, oh, okay, interesting. And he kind of really breaks down his character, <laughs> like forcing him to reveal his secrets and then using that against him. Oh, kind of, it really so just good. like personifies the character so well. So brilliant. And uh. I think that the entire dynamic of the film is in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. That scene absolutely is by far probably the most iconic that intro to that character and it's just so good some of the line like that line where he's like i'm gonna fuck you like a pig and yeah. <laughs> it just is such a great line but uh, um not quite my tempo not quite my tempo yeah uh oh was it, what is it yeah, are you dragging or like, are you rushing, are you rushing or, dragging? or are you dragging it's so good are you gonna be on my fucking time <laughs> Oh Brilliant. God, yeah. I would Brilliant say quotes. that would be up there for me, but my highlight scene—it's mm. got to be the whole uh, whiplash incident, followed up by because that the way yeah. they shot that car crash, say so you're in the car as it spins, and it's just so well, like it's so well shot. And then like the, obviously the fallout of that scene of him stumbling, bloodied, and st- into that like that rehearsal and yeah, yeah, trying to, trying to drum, but he's got nothing left. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first time you watch that, you authentically think he's going to pull off, and then you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, no, his hands are probably broken. Yeah. <laughs> They've got <laughs> literal glass in Yeah, him. yeah. His arm literally looks limp. Oh, <laughs> nasty and business. I, that's, that's full credit. Like, I know, like like we've said, JK gets a lot of, like, praise for this film, but that's that's an all-mile teller scene, and that scene yeah. really yep. showcases why um, this film's only as good as both ends of the spectrum and, and that whole scene of him and he, just his acting, it, once again, it comes back to the, sh- the showcase of potential that this man has. Yeah. But then he goes and does fan four stick. Yeah. <laughs> and he does some really bad rom-coms too, by the way. Okay. Some shocking rom-coms. But... Yeah. Well, let's not forget when he tackles Flex. He's like, fuck you, Flex. Fuck you. Yeah. That's <laughs> so good. What about you, Jake? Well, it's funny because that is also my highlight scene. Yeah. Uh, the car crash and everything that leads into that. And you're right. Even leading up to that when he's on the phone, and it's like, there is no way in hell you're going to make that on time. Because <laughs> yeah. it cuts back to, he's like, he's already like 10 minutes late or whatever. Um, I love that. And of course, the ending's incredible. 
No just, worries. Just that performance. I, I wrote down, fun little fact for anyone who wants to go back and see, if you jump at one hour, 28 minutes, you will notice two shots in that final performance that uh, reverse. So on the wide establishing of that final concert when Fletcher walks in, you can see the band halfway through the, the shot, like they flip the shot. And you right. can see like their body movements just reverse. And that happens twice. And I was like, that's trippy. I wonder like why they've done that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm, maybe, yeah, be interesting to... I'm now going to go back and look at that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was fascinating. Damn. I'll see if I can find it for you. Take some Easter egg. Well, no worries. Whiplash is currently out in wide release. I don't know if it's on any streaming part. I feel like it's on Netflix. Ooh. It was on Netflix. It definitely was at some point, but yeah. Um, not sure now. I can do a quick check on that one, but... um. It's definitely out on Blu-ray, DVD, yep. all that jazz. It's Give it a watch. And there's a great uh, commentary track on the Blu-ray if you if you do choose to go that route oh, with perfect. Um, with Chazelle and uh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, this is definitely a must-own on the old Blu-rays. Yeah, it's sure. not on Netflix Australia, unfortunately, but La La Land is. There we go. If you want to check out his other films. No yeah. worries. Well, are we ready to move into what's new in cinemas this week? Absolutely. Um, Stephen, are you... I you know, unfortunately have to go. That's so impressive. We could finish the show without you. We're just going to get through these last little errands of ours. But um, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, yeah, thank great. Thanks so much for having me, show. guys. Really enjoyed it and love to be back if you ever want to talk about something. Absolutely. Pirates Caribbean, that's my, <laughs> that's my deal. <laughs> that's so. your next choice? <laughs> yeah. Love it's it. It's so funny. Um, I was Crystal watching... Black Pearl specifically. Before, okay. before you go, Stephen, I was watching a Pirates documentary and I there's never been an Anne Bonny movie. There's never been an Anne Bonny biopic. And I just right. thought to myself, uh, well, I, I just thought, how has that never happened? Back pocket that, yeah. So, pretend, yeah, it was just, just slot that. And, you know, she served on the same pirate ship as Mary Reed. So the only two female pirates served with another dude pirate. And okay. it's like, why has that never been made into a film? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, thank <laughs> you for being on the show, Stephen. <laughs> Thanks, All guys. Right, thank you so much. All right, Jake, so what's new in cinemas this week? Uh, not a lot. And again, because this is a pre-recorded show, uh, subject to change, we shall see. The cinema side show is subject to change. Ooh. Uh, coming this week, and finally to Australia, because the US of A's has had it for a while, Onwards in 3D. It's Pixar's latest and finally coming to Australia cinemas this Thursday, April 2nd. Two teenage elf brothers, played by Tom Holland and Chris Pratt, go on a journey to discover that uh, if there is still a little magic left out there in order to spend one last day with their father. So, new Pixar film. It... <laughs> I'm actually more keen for Soul. I have no clue what Soul is, but um, I get the vibe that that one's kind of going to be the big... The yeah. bread and butter of the That's year. That's going to be the uh, inside out of this year, I think. Okay. Um, for better or worse, if you like inside out. Right. I don't. I love inside out. <gasps> I don't. It's definitely not that. I think. I think Pixar's top tier is definitely, you know, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story Three. That's right. like their Ratatouille perfect... ages so well too. Oh, oh my god, the music in it is like. I used brilliant. to not like Ratatouille growing up. Oh, you're crazy. What well, you've, you've learned. You've learned. I have learned. Wally's always been the the top. The top for me. Wally's incredible. I when I rewatched it not long ago, I I didn't. I mean, the ending's fine, but like it, the ending's like the only thing that felt not excellent. Yeah, we definitely need to do a Pixar episode. We've mm. done one since Toy Story Four. Yeah, and uh, there's definitely better ones out there than than Toy Story Four. Absolutely. 4. Uh, Come to Daddy is a oh my god, I hate that title. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a gory, gross out black comedy starring Elijah Wood, who reunites with his estranged father after receiving a cryptic letter. Man, Elijah uh, Wood does he's like Daniel Radcliffe. He does so much weird shit too. Yeah, this is definitely like Daniel Radcliffe doing Guns Akimbo compared to Elijah Wood doing Come to Daddy in, mm. in this this is the twenty twenties of yeah. the Elijah Wood Daniel Radcliffe mix up. Um yeah. I don't know what I don't know what it is, but that sounds... Yeah, I'd say we chuck Robert Patterson in there now, but he's now back in the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I think he's doing too well now to, like... Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all doing well, but, like, you're right. I think Batman is... Yeah, he's back, <laughs> in, he's back in the mainstream fold, whereas Radcliffe and, and uh, Elijah Wood... Elijah Wood literally post-Lord of the Rings has just been sitting around, chilling and doing what he feels like doing, which is normally right. the weird, quirky shit. <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it. I like when Daniel Radcliffe does it. And last, but... Maybe not, definitely not, at least actually what I'm reading here. It Must Be Heaven, which follows filmmaker uh, Elias Suleiman. I probably butchered that to death. As he travels to different cities and finds unexpected parallels to his own homeland of Palestine in this Palm Dior nominated comedy. 
Intriguing. Now, this sounds like a documentary, but they didn't use the word documentary here. No. They're just a comedy. Like a mix of the two. Could be a mockumentary-esque. Could be. Type thing. But uh, yeah, Palm Dior nominated. I like the sound of that. Well, none of those are what we're watching <laughs> next week on the show. But Jake, uh, what are we watching? Right. So next week, we are watching Jersey Boys. Tommy, Nicky, Nick Massey and Frankie are part of a renowned band. But due to the increase in popularity, they become victims of several mafia feared threats, gambling debts and family disaster. I read feeders. I like how we were talking, we were shitting on musical biopics and now we're doing a musical biopic. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, this wasn't at our choice. So obviously, we had Perry on last week, Stephen on this week. What a nice young man. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and next week, we're having Zachary Cave on to talk about Jersey Boys. So- uh, we've really mixed it up with these pre-records. I'm yeah. in Honky Tonk Town right now, and you guys get three new guests. I know. You guys have been spoiled here. Yeah. You know how hard it was for me to get up this morning, audience? <laughs> All right. I love you guys, but holy crap. I did not get sleep last night because I was very irresponsible. <laughs> well, Jake, you <laughs> can go home and get I, some sleep. I can go home and get some sleep now. you got to work. Yes. Your Thank stuff. you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. That's the one. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Jersey Boys. Oh!